Okay. Setting up my preferences. I don't know if people can hear me yet or not. Yes, they can. Okay, good morning. Good morning. Hello. Hello. How are you all? Good. Excellent. Lovely to see your faces. I'm just getting my, this is always like, the awkward part where I'm getting all my screen set up. <laughs> Alrighty. Good morning, good evening, hello, hello. Laura, Kristen, Rebecca, Jess, Catherine. It was a very Brady bunch again. Um, how's everyone's week been? You know, just give me a thumbs up or been okay? Good. Some thumbs up, some meh. I, yeah, I, I, I'm somewhere in between the meh and the thumbs up. There's just a lot of information flowing around the world at the moment. Um, something looks different on my screen. What is it? That's better. Funny time to talk about uh, to talk about rhythms. <laughs> really, <laughs> it's a strange, strange um, exercise, I guess, in being flexible. Um, given that most of us are not living in the rhythms that we would have been living in a couple of months ago, uh, I know I'm not. So it's just a yeah, a, a really strange um, time. But I'm I based on the emails that I received from people um, over the last week, I'm really pleased to see um, how you're all diving into it, regardless of the uncertainty or in spite of the uncertainty. Um, and I think that, well, it's, in, I mean, when I say interesting, I kind of mean difficult time to, to be looking at rhythms and routines, um, sorry, rhythms and, and rituals and tilting and balance. Um, I also think it's, it's quite a, potentially a positive time to do that because of, um, I guess, the ability to question what had become part of our daily rhythms, um, what we miss about those daily rhythms and what we no longer would like to be a part of those daily rhythms. And it's a, a really um, confronting way of asking that question, I guess. Um, and it's certainly been the case for me. Um, yeah, so and I, I just, I guess, all that to say, I'm really glad that, you know, you guys are, are all showing up and asking those questions. Hey, maybe. All right. Uh, you're saying hello to Brittany. It's okay. I thought it was me. <laughs> nice to see you too. Hi, everyone. <laughs> uh, it's, I just feel like I'm crashing your, like, your catch-up party. <laughs> Uh, that's fine. I'm not embarrassed. Um, <laughs> so Rachel said, um, yeah, I think for me, it's, it's looking at what I want, not what everyone else wants moving forward. Um, and I think that's a really powerful way of looking at it because as I think we've discovered over the last 
um, like the last few weeks, there's a lot of shoulds attached to where we spend our time and our energy. And um, like I'm always hesitant to say, you know, that it's a benefit of the time that we're in. But if it's if it's uh, it's offering us the opportunity to question what I want versus what I feel like I should want um, moving forward, I think that's going to be a um, a really sort of empowering thing to add into the conversation that we, we have around rhythms and how we spend our time and where our energy goes. Um, so I think what I would like to do, I guess, is just start getting into the questions that I've received. Now, if anyone is on the call and wants to ask questions live, either just pop it up in the chat or give me a wave um, and I will wave back to you. And then I will, um, bring you on and we can have a talk. But I did get a few questions via email, so I thought I may as well start there. Um, because what I discovered was a very thick vein of guilt running through all of the questions um, that I received this week. Um, and I thought that maybe if we started there, that might um, help alleviate some of the guilt people seem to be to be feeling around this question of, you know, productivity and worth and value and um, shoulds and, you know, time and energy and all of that, that, that sort of interrelated um, knot of, you know, who you are as a person, I guess. Um, so as I said, there was a, a lot of guilt in the questions that I received that really dealt with how should I be spending my time um, particularly in light of the different rhythms a lot of people are in at the moment. I think, you know, if your mornings are looking less efficient or they've slowed down a lot, or if your evenings look different because you find yourself exhausted at the end of the day. Uh, and I think a lot of people are feeling guilty about that because that's not what I should be doing. You know, I, uh, I think it was Brittany Ann actually who said um, in her email, like, it, we're living through a really, really strange time. And that has a very real impact on our brains, you know, um, we're far more likely to feel exhausted and overwhelmed. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just getting a um, echo. There's nothing more distracting than hearing yourself speak. Um, let me just make sure everyone is muted. All right. I think that's it. Picking back up. Yeah, I think that our, our brains are, are actually overwhelmed at the moment with the amount of information that we're taking in, even when we're being mindful of that information. So the fact that maybe you're sleeping in a little later or you're going to bed a little earlier or you're less active is perfectly understandable. You know, I think it's important to remove the guilt, to remove the shoulds from that, um, from that, that kind of conversation because it's not serving any one of us um, in any kind of positive way. Um, I think we just need to meet ourselves where we are rather than where we think we should be. Uh, and that sort of applies to a number of people who wrote to me um, asking about the fact that they thought their rhythms looked too simple. Like, they're like, you know, is this enough of a rhythm? You know, if I just do this and this and this, is that enough? Like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. If you've worked out that that's what you want to do and that's where you feel um, supported and uplifted or energised or, or, you know, ready for the day or nourished or whatever it is that you're looking for from your rhythm, 
that's wonderful, you know, and I think that sometimes we try to overcomplicate these things. We hear of all of these wonderful, ritual, heavy morning rhythms, you know, that, that people living a good life do. And maybe that would look like getting up at 5 a.m. and meditating and yoga and going for a run and doing all of these things. It's like, great if that's what works for you, but it's not what you need to do. Um, it's it's more a question of, of meeting yourself where you are and also being aware of the, the kind of energy you bring to a morning and an evening. That's an important part of the conversation too, I think. So um, I am just going to get into a couple of these questions. Let me just Sorry, I wish I had like a really wide screen so I could see everything at once. <laughs> All right. So I have a... Um, a question that came through from Isabella and I think I mean I kind of spoke to it a little bit just then actually she sort of explained what her morning rhythm looks like um, and she basically said she she's really not a morning person um, she'd rather sort her night out her, her day out the night before so that in the morning she can just get up and sort of roll out of bed and, and get going on her day um, so she said, I mostly consider waking up much before seven to be only for airport runs. Uh, and I guess I was a little bit intimidated and put off by the idea of having to get up an hour earlier to do the yoga, the meditation, the journaling, have a relaxed cup of tea, looking out the window, you know, that I, I tell myself sounds nice. And it seems to be the morning of everyone who is living their best life. However, after monitoring my time and inputs from the past week, I realized that I spent 20 to 25 minutes most mornings under the covers, scrolling through the news or checking email. This doesn't actually serve me in any way, except letting me delay having to get up. And I'm left feeling rushed behind and frustrated with myself. I realized that I can flip this so that instead of reaching for the news, I can do a short meditation and record my thoughts on audio form while still in bed and then do some quick stretches and move on with my day. So the overall routine is to lie in bed for a bit and then get ready for work and leave. But the rhythm of hope that unfolds is a much kinder way to start my mornings. And then she asked, you know, does this sound like a rhythm to you? Absolutely. It sounds like a rhythm to me. It sounds delightful. Um, and it sounds like you have met yourself where you are. You know, you're not a morning person getting up at 5 a.m. and doing all of those, those, those things, ticking all of those self-care boxes does not appeal and when it's, when it, when it's, I mean, if it doesn't appeal to you in writing it down, it's certainly going to be harder to do at 5 a.m. every morning. So meeting yourself where you are is really, really important. Um, she goes on to say that it feels sustainable to me, but it doesn't sound like much when I write it down. So if we remove the, the guilt from that sentence, you know, it doesn't feel like much. It's, it's plenty. It's wonderful. You know, and I can tell from the way that you're writing, you feel supported with it. Um, it feels sustainable is really important to recognize, I think, because when we're tired or when we have a busy week or when we have a slightly later night or, you know, we're feeling kind of down, having a morning rhythm that is really intense, even intense with good things, but really intense, um, almost to the point of not being sustainable, in my experience, they're not going to stick. So I think finding something that there is ease with, finding something that really does feel light um, and like a, a great fit is really important. Um, so I hope that that helps, Isabella, because I think that, um, that you're really on the right track. I really actually love the idea of 
having a morning rhythm in bed. <laughs> Truly, I think that if that's something, if you're not a morning person, if you don't enjoy getting up, but you're looking for a little more shape to your mornings, then I think that's um, that's a really great way to to kind of approach it. And there's a question that came that comes later as well that sort of talks about this, and I'll go into it a little bit further as what a bed morning rhythm could look like. But for those of you who are like, oh, you know, I need to be up and active, not necessarily, you know. Um, like I said, and I'll probably say another few times this morning, just work with yourself where you are rather than where you think you should be. Um, now, I've got my headphones in today because we've got some work happening outside. Hopefully it's not too noisy, but if it is, just let me know. Jump in the chat and tell me um, and I will move. <laughs> So I've got another question from um, Carolyn. Actually, it's not even so much a question. It's just something I wanted to share with you. Uh, she, Carolyn shares that, is Carolyn on the call? Actually, I didn't even check if Isabella was. I don't think she is. No. Um, so Carolyn shared where she's at after this week. Um, and I just wanted to share it with you because it genuinely made me smile when I read her email. Um, she said, I've, I've no idea why I've never done something as simple as work out what I need and want to get done before I leave for work each day and then worked out how long that takes. It's made me realise that my expectations on myself have been completely unrealistic and no wonder the mornings are usually not enjoyable and frantic. Um, and I think that that's super important to recognise, uh, particularly, I guess, as we at least in Australia, we're starting to see restrictions lifted. So some people are going to start going back to work and things like that. Um, making sure that the rhythm that we start to create is realistic um, and it's not set up to someone else's standards. It's set up to our actual lives and our um, requirements and the, the requirements on our time and energy. Everyone is different. Everyone's circumstances are different. Everyone's energy is different. Um, so I think that that word of being realistic is, is really important uh, because, I mean, and I'm guilty of this as much as anyone, I went through periods where I would design this really uh, impressive sounding morning rhythm and I'd do it for like three days. And then because it was so unrealistic, I would feel overwhelmed before I even got out of bed or maybe even before I went to bed the night before. And then I wouldn't do any of it. And it was that it was the, the all or nothing kind of approach that was really harmful, I think, in my um, my my in, in my efforts to, to to create a rhythm. Um, and I think that even if you feel like it's not quite enough or it's too small, I mean, it's you're possibly even better off starting with a more gentle version of that rhythm and working with it until it becomes second nature. Um, and, and once it becomes that, that sort of that sense of naturalness, you can start to look at perhaps extending the length of time or adding something else to it. Um, but that James Clear quote that I often refer to, you know, reduce the scope, stick to the schedule is probably more where I like to um, focus sort of my efforts and, and saying, okay, yes, an hour yoga would make me feel great but I'm probably not going to get up an hour early every day. What about doing five minutes of sun salutations while the kettle's boiling? That's something that feels reasonable and realistic and accessible. Uh, you know, so reducing that scope and sticking to the schedule. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to share that from Carolyn. I thought it was really helpful. 
So then we've got Brittany Ann, who is on the call. Did, Brittany Ann, did you want to jump on and talk about your question or? Yeah, of course. Awesome. Um, so I took it kind of more like pre-pandemic, in the pandemic, post-pandemic, because my pre-pandemic morning rhythm was the best thing in the world. And I felt so good every day. Um, and so I guess in the evenings, I would get everything ready for work and for school and everything I needed. And then in the morning, I would just roll over, get dressed, go to the gym, and it was the best start to my day. But now I can't do that anymore. And I haven't found anything else that I love as much as that morning rhythm. So every morning just doesn't feel good. And I've tried um, like home workouts and yoga and going for walks and even like doing nothing. Or I picked up embroidery this week, tried that. Um, and um, I was just talking to Maple about it. And I think I need to just switch my mindset to not like going to the gym but more just like do one thing in the morning that is more like self-care yeah. so like when it could the gym was that but now it's not so I need to just find whatever feels good that day I guess is kind of where I've landed and yeah I mastered it or anything it, that feels like it's a, a positive place to land though um you know and and I guess it's really kind of compassionate like you're being compassionate to yourself because yeah, that was like a, an amazing pre-pandemic morning rhythm that worked for you. And that's hard. Like having something that works and then having to beyond, I guess because it's out of your control to have to completely drop that is, is rough. Um, but I guess trying to force that same sense of purpose into mornings that look vastly different at the moment is, um, I guess it's a, a, an attempt to control what's uncontrollable, you know. Um, so I like that it, you, if you're setting aside some time to just do one thing and that one thing can change every day based on where you're at and how you're feeling, I think that's really important too. You did say um, in your email that you said, I remind myself that we're in the middle of something weird and it's okay that I don't love this part of my day. And that's really important too. You know, you can't, like, a, like we are just talking about, you can't necessarily control um control any of that and i think that letting go of trying is really important too you know we can't control the the external stuff but we can control what we do with our, our time and energy um and by just choosing one keeping that really gentle sort of approach i think is is awesome um the other thing that i wanted to mention to you actually is um the idea of idleness so i've been researching idleness like the or, or I guess the Italian idea of um, the sweetness of doing nothing. And it's really interesting what it can bring to us. Um, we're, not, we're not well equipped, I think, as, as people who grow up in like Western countries with the Western ideal of productivity equals value as a person. But to just do nothing for a little while is really, really um, powerful. So... I think that for me, it's something that I'm definitely still experimenting with because I'm not particularly good at it either. But shifting our mindset away from I'm doing nothing, like I'm wasting time, I could be doing something else and feeling bad about it, shifting to this is a purposeful choice to be idle for five minutes and to simply just 
sit and be. There's no doing, there's no like agenda, there's no meditation, there's no breathing technique, there's nothing. It's, it's literally like lying on your bed and choosing to do nothing and understanding that what's happening in your brain is something that doesn't necessarily happen when we're doing all the time. Like when we're doing, our brain works in one particular way and it's important, obviously. But when we do nothing, when we just sit in that idleness, our brain is allowed to um, shift into what's called the default mode network um, where we make all of these completely new connections and ideas form and creativity blooms in a way that it can't when we're doing. So I found that um, that sitting with the idea of idleness as a purposeful, meaningful choice also helps when you, um, you know, when it, it helps, like it helps to just reduce the need to have things being done in every moment. Um, so I don't know if that's something that could potentially appeal or even just shift that mindset again to, um, yeah, to, to a purpose, I guess, behind a little more slowness. Um, because I know you, you said that you really enjoyed the difference between your pre-pandemic weekday mornings and your pre-pandemic weekend mornings because one gave the opportunity for slowness and the other one had sort of structure to it and a rhythm to it that worked for you. Um, and now they kind of all feel the same. So uh, that's nothing. there's nothing that you can necessarily do about that other than what you're already doing um, and also flipping that, that mindset. Um, does, that, does that help? Awesome. Okay. <laughs> All righty. Um, I've got another question from Sarah. Is Sarah on the call? No. Okay. Um, so Sarah kind of emailed me about both week two and week three. Uh, and there's a couple of things that I wanted to share from her email. Um, initially, so last week when we were looking at inputs, um, and I know we spent a huge amount of time talking about like social media and news and things like that. Um, Sarah used that, like all of you, as an opportunity to rethink what she was doing with her time and energy. Um, and one of the things that I thought was really interesting is that she reduced 25% um, of the articles in her want to read pile. So they were pharmacy articles. I'm assuming that's related to her work. Um, but she realized that at least 25% of those articles were reinforcing things that she already knew and weren't teaching her uh, anything new. So kind of having them sitting there was an input that was almost designed to like bolster her, um, like to, to bolster her belief that she, like she already was already on the right track, if that makes sense. And I know I do this too. I'll often find myself revisiting information or podcasts or um, articles about things that I already know, or I already have my, um, my position or my point of view set on. And it's like a confirmation that I was craving. And I think that's a really important thing to recognize, particularly if we find ourselves digging into a lot of the same topic or um, we're exploring something new and we find ourselves revisiting the same kind of information over and over again. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think that to a certain point in order to learn, we need to have repetition. But um, if you're doing those things simply because they make you feel um, like validated, 
then that could be another way of reducing um, some of those inputs. So I just wanted to highlight that because it kind of my ears pricked up when I when I when I read that, uh, and uh, I thought it was a really interesting way of looking at, at further reducing some of the the pressures that we're feeling in terms of inputs. Um, and then for week three, Sarah shared um, a little bit more about her mornings. And I really liked this as well. I thought it was quite inspiring. So she said, I've had slow mornings for a long time um, and I'm pretty happy with it. Even when I had to commute an hour, I would get up an extra hour early to make sure I could ease into my morning. Um, however, after listening to your podcast on Ayurveda um, and becoming hooked, I'm trying to create a more mindful morning. My goal is to get up 30 minutes earlier so I can do some chakra chanting, um, some yoga and some quick self-massage before my shower. However, I'm being very mindful of the reduce the scope, stick to the schedule, and I'm giving myself permission to go back to bed and read until I absolutely have to get up at seven um, if I'm not feeling it after a, sun, a couple of sun salutations, as long as what I do is read about Ayurveda. So, I thought that was a really beautiful example of how to offer ourselves flexibility in a rhythm. So Sarah has highlighted the things that she knows will make her feel better and supported and, you know, um, nourished in her morning. And she knows that on the best days, that's what it's going to look like. But there are days, like there are days that I just related to whether or not we slept well, or whether or not we're under additional stress or where we are in our hormonal cycle or, you know, a million different reasons why some days we're just not going to be feeling it. So rather than sort of throwing your hands up in the air and saying, that's a day that I just don't do it at all. Um, she has almost built in this ability to flex in that rhythm. And I thought it was really, um, really helpful. So I just wanted to share it with you because I thought that there might be something in there that appeals to people um, who perhaps might find the, even like the rigidity of a rhythm too much. Um, and then she asked me a question. So my main question is, does your rhythm look different on a weekend compared to a weekday? Um, for example, I love my current weekend routine of sleep, spending an hour reading over breakfast and a cup of tea and then cat cuddles after a bit of a sleep in. But maybe I will feel better if I do yoga and meditate first. And she goes on to say that she kind of rebels against having to do something every day. Um, and I completely understand that. So yes, my weekends look very different to my weekdays. I mean, everything looks different at the moment, but um, on the whole, my weekdays um, look like getting up and doing some kind of self-care activity task, you know, whether that is a little bit of yoga or I meditate um, or I journal. Ben and I have been going for walks in the morning. So that's sort of, that's it. That's my morning rhythm. Um, and obviously get home and, and get into the day in, in whatever way I need to. Weekends are completely different. I don't get up to an alarm. Um, I, the kids will often come into our bed and, you know, have a cuddle or we'll talk or whatever. End up, it always ends up in a tickle fight. Um, and then maybe we'll get up and make breakfast, pancakes, have a coffee, you know, and really just kind of flow into the morning. Um, obviously, it's really easy to talk about having... Um, a very fluid weekend morning rhythm at the moment because there's nowhere that we can go. But um, even on, even when we do have, you know, the ability to go out and, and see people and do things, 
I really like having that um, that fluidity. So, um, yes, you know, short answer: weekends and weekdays look very, very different. Um, I'm sure that if I did tick more of those self-care boxes on a Saturday and a Sunday, there would be some measurable benefit. Like if I got up and meditated, um, you know, on a Saturday and a Sunday, or if I got up and went for an extra long walk or whatever it might be, measurable benefit could be found. But for me, it's not about that necessarily. I really enjoy much like um, Sarah not having to do things every day. And that's just sort of me learning to meet myself where I am. So if you're someone who really enjoys having a seven days a week, same thing day in and day out, because that works for you in terms of consistency, then by all means do that. But if, you know, if you feel like you really want to change things up weekday to weekend, that's also fine. I don't think there's any, there's any rule sort of stating that you need to, I mean, there is a theory, I guess, on habits that, in order to create a habit as quickly as possible, we do it seven days a week. Um, and that's what James Clear was initially talking about with his point of reduce the scope, stick to the schedule. Um, so maybe you can't go for a five kilometer run, but maybe you can go for a two kilometer run in the time that you've got. Um, and that was basically in terms of teaching people how to establish positive habits as quickly as possible. Uh, so there is definitely that school of thought Again, um, I think I probably just approach my self-care rituals differently on weekends. Like I'll try and get into the garden. I'll try and have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea sitting outside, literally kind of just looking at the birds and the sky and stuff. Um, so it looks different. Um, and I think that's just an experimentation, really, a uh, matter of yeah, figuring out um, what feels good. And sometimes taking a day away from all of that feels good. Um, okay, so Lizzie shared, is Lizzie on the call? Um, so Lizzie said that this week I've been focusing on my evening rhythm um, as getting enough sleep is something I've been desperate to do for a while. I did want to dive in and create a morning rhythm that incorporated getting up early to meditate and have time for myself. But I realized that that wasn't going to be possible without getting enough sleep first. So even though I felt that the morning rhythm would be meatier and was the one I was eager to do, I decided to take the slower path and sort my evening out first. Um, and I think that Lizzie raises a really good point, which is sleep. I think, I mean, just out of curiosity, who on the call feels like they get enough sleep, enough good quality sleep? Awesome. Okay. So like half of us at least, that's great. Um, you know, and I think that this is something I'm learning about myself as well. If we're not nourishing our bodies, if we're not allowing our brains and our bodies to rest and to heal and, you know, to completely recalibrate from particularly at the moment, what is a really stressful time. Um, even the most energizing and uplifting of morning rhythms can start to feel hard over time. And, you know, that's where we get into this conversation that we've already been having about what's realistic and what's um, sustainable. But I think what that level of sustainable and realistic looks like will be a lot lower if we're not 
rested, if we're not getting sleep, if we're not prioritizing it. Um, so if you're someone who's finding the mornings tough because those, um, those rhythms feel like they're coming too early or there's too much involved, it could also be really helpful to have a look at the sleep that you are or aren't getting and perhaps put some of your effort into getting good sleep. So sort of flipping things and looking at what your evenings look like, um, particularly in light of getting that really good quality sleep. Um, so, I mean, there's a few things that we can kind of just observe in ourselves, particularly if we're the people who aren't getting enough, enough good sleep. Uh, I think most people are aware now that screens have an impact on our sleep um, habits and our sleep quality. So I think the, the current advice is to have an hour before sleep time where you're not on a screen because that blue light particularly of screens, of phones, um, and to a certain extent of TVs really affects our ability to shift into the deep sleep. It may not necessarily stop you from getting to sleep, but it will quite likely stop you from shifting into that deep restorative um, sleep. And I know that if I ever work like after dinner, um, I need to take at least a couple of hours between finishing work and going to bed. Otherwise, I have really fitful sleep. And I think that it's got a lot to do with, with the, the screen. Um, but also like, developing a bedtime rhythm that works for you. So whether that's uh, incorporating something like, you know, TV goes off at nine o'clock, make yourself a cup of tea. I have like a, a lavender and chamomile tea at night. And that's a, just a really, a really positive signal to my body that it's bedtime um, and sometimes I'll sit up and drink that or sometimes I'll take it to bed and read um, what I've been doing over the last uh, few weeks I think particularly because my nervous system has been so um, sort of heightened in this sort of fight or flight mode uh, I, I laid down in my bed with my legs up the wall and that's really restorative it really helps to calm the nervous system um, and then, you know, once my feet get cold, I lay down in bed like normal, drink my tea and read and, and then go to sleep. And I've sort of stuck with that rhythm for a long time. And it feels really um, clear to my body that it's, it's time to sleep. Um, and I think anything like that that works for you, perhaps it is having a, a bath, you know, putting magnesium salt in the bath is apparently very good for relaxing muscles and um, bringing about sleep sleep sleepfulness um or you know taking magnesium as a supplement often also helps because it helps relax muscles um, and can help us to sleep more fit more soundly um so whatever like whatever it is i mean you kind of know you tend to know what works best for you or you're in a really good position to experiment with it and perhaps develop a an evening rhythm um, based around getting more sleep and then you'll find that those morning rhythms um, possibly feel a little bit more doable, a little bit more realistic or sustainable. So I think um, that was a really important point that Lizzie raised. Um, but she also simply um, shared with, with us what um, she's realized, I guess, about the idea of tilting. So she said, instead of trying to multitask my way through the day and getting cross when balls get dropped or my patience wears thin, this week, I didn't feel guilty about letting the kids watch extra TV whilst I sat down and did a bit of a jigsaw puzzle with a coffee. 
I was able to recognize that if I didn't tilt into recharging my batteries, I wouldn't have the energy to parent my children calmly in the afternoon. Um, and I just think that that's a really important thing to highlight. And it sort of exemplifies tilting to me. It's um, an acknowledgement that I cannot be doing all of these things at once. And even if I try, I won't be doing any of them particularly well. So I choose to tilt into, in this instance, refueling by doing a jigsaw puzzle for a little while. And that means that we, like, we a big part of tilting is learning to drop our standards. So um, Lizzie tilted into doing this jigsaw puzzle and as a result allowed her children to watch a bit more TV. And she was like, you know, she, she made a choice to be okay with that. And I think that that's a big part of the, the bigger picture when it comes to tilting is learning to be okay with the, the standards that inevitably have to drop when we choose to be all in on something. Uh, and I really just wanted to, to kind of highlight that because I think it's really important and it's tied up a lot with next week's um, topic of self-compassion as well, because I don't think we're necessarily very good at allowing ourselves to be anything other than perfect. So I think that, um, yeah, Lizzie offered a really wonderful um, example of that. Um, <laughs> Kristen said, I would love more sleep. <laughs> Um, okay, so Linda said, I need a nighttime rhythm. I haven't really thought about it because mornings have been so much more important to me. Yeah, and I think it's just a matter of striking a balance as well between, um, between getting the rest that we need, getting through the things that we know will help us to have a better day and to, you know, feel energised. Um, but also, yeah, finding space for, for both of those. And I think bookending our day in a really intentional way, even if during the day, you know, think we're, we're caught up in structures and, and routines that aren't necessarily our own, being able to, to bookend the day with intention um, is really, it's, it's really powerful, actually. Um, so Angie just asked, how can, can you please explain a bit how and why lying down with legs up the wall soothes the body before sleep? Um, I can try. <laughs> so I've spoken to a few people about it and it is a yoga pose. So I'm sure it has a, a much more impressive name than legs up the wall, but um, essentially it does what it says on the box. And um, the, from what I've read, and you know what I'll try and do? I found a really interesting article in Yoga Journal, I think, about it. So I will pop that underneath the replay of today's call over in the retreat um, and anything else I find because that sort of goes into more of the yoga theory, which is not my area of expertise at all. Um, but essentially what it, it it's, um, it's a very restorative pose that shifts the blood flow um, and sort of flips it from being kind of bottom heavy, we're sitting, we're standing, we're on our feet all the time, we're in motion, to um, kind of equalising it more so throughout the body. And whether or not that blood flow to the brain has a, an impact or on our nervous system or not, but I know it sort of shifts us from that fight or flight mode in the nervous system to one of rest and digest and heal. Um, and that's a really obviously a really positive place to sleep from as opposed to trying to battle our way through that fight or flight mode. Um, yeah. So I think that, that essentially it is a, an energy kind of re what's the word? <laughs> uh, anyway, it rebalances our energy across, <laughs> across the body. 
Um, but just experiment with it. So I spoke to my sister about it who um, who often does legs up the wall and she said that it works really well for her. But I can't remember if I told you guys this or if it was another call. Um, she then doubles up. So once she's done legs up the wall, she does diamond legs. So essentially bends her knees up and then lets her knees fall out, puts her feet together and kind of your legs make a diamond shape. And if you can do that for 10 minutes, I do it while I'm reading um, sometimes. And then once those 10 minutes are over, you roll over onto your side and sleep is then much more easy to come by. Um, and I've certainly found that to be the case. I, I couldn't, I know less about that than I do about legs up the wall, but she swore by it. And I experimented with it, particularly when I was really stressed during the beginning of lockdown and, you know, that, that really kind of unsettling period. Um, and it helped. So that could be something else to to experiment with. I will definitely, okay, so hang on. I have some information from Jean. Um, so it allows the fluid in the discs in the back to refill, which gives relief and relaxa relaxation too. Um, so after, okay, so that's something that's been recommended um, to deal with like back discomfort as well. So it's just winning on all fronts. <laughs> um, uh, Cheryl shared, the concept of tilting has been invaluable to me this week. Um, I'm glad. Uh, I have a good morning routine, but what really struck me is giving myself permission to be flexible about what my morning looks like, depending on how well I've slept and how I'm feeling. Exactly, Cheryl. I think that that's, again, a really beautiful example of what it looks like to be um, compassionate and to have flexibility in what our mornings um, look like. Because, I mean... Particularly, particularly women, we, we have like a, we have a cyclical nature and there's going to be times where we're super energized and maybe our bodies will wake us up earlier than our alarm and we're going to jump out of bed and we're going to feel ready to take on the world. And then there are other times where we're also just as just as valid to need rest or to need more stillness or to need more um, of that, that quiet kind of self-care as well. And they're both, they're all valid, you know, everything in between is valid as well. Uh, but I think that anything that we can do to bring that sense of compassion to ourselves, that sense of um, grace or flexibility or, um, you know, understanding is really important. Um, okay, so uh, actually I've got Linda. Are you still on the call, Linda? Um, I just actually really just wanted to share something that Linda shared, if that's okay. How yep. are you? Fish. Good. Um, I just really wanted to, to say thank you for sharing what you did in your email. Are you okay if I read some of it out? Yeah, I was wondering what I said now. <laughs> it was good, I promise. <laughs> um, so you said that week three came at the perfect time on Mother's Day. Um, and you know what? I thought about that on Mother's Day because uh, initially the retreat was going to run a little later than it, than it did. Um, and I hope no one, none of the, the mums found that it was like, felt like homework on Mother's Day. That was definitely not my intention. <laughs> um, so week three came at the perfect time. I thought to myself, I would give tilting a try. So I tilted fully into Mother's Day. We went hiking. Um, we went hiking. And then I sat in front of the fire and watched Netflix for hours, something I never do. I embraced Mother's Day fully and loved it, even though there were so many jobs to do. Now, the problem was Monday, I felt guilty and thought, why did I waste that time? I still have these jobs to do. I'm not sure how to get around those feelings of guilt. Um, 
how are you feeling about it now? Like, is that something that you're still kind of grappling with? Um, I think um, I have an interesting life. I kind of have a split life. So I, um, I have two homes. So I live in the Blue Mountains pretty much Monday to Friday when we're not um, isolating, where I have this corporate job and my husband's a full-time farmer. So on the weekends, I'm on the farm. With COVID-19, I've been on the farm more. So I kind of feel like I have two lives. And so that creates a bit of busyness with like my house at Wimberley always kind of crazy and messy. And I just have to let it go because I can't, I can't keep up. So I think, um, yeah, I look back at, at Sunday and I had such a great day. And I think, you know, those jobs are always going to be there, but you can't get time back with your family. And so I just had a great time and I wasn't stressed that day about all the jobs, the washing and all that that I needed to do. So I loved it. That's so awesome. And I think you're like, you nailed it. You know, you said those jobs are always going to be there. And it's not to say that like we can ignore them forever, but that's not what tilting is. Like you tilted into that time with your family, into that time of kind of deep relaxation. And it's, uh, it's certainly not a waste of time. Like your body is responding really well to that rest, your brain, your connection to your family, all of that stuff. Like it's really important to take time out, you know, and I think that learning to recognize that our productivity is not equal to our worth as human beings particularly as women, I think, um, is a really valuable lesson. Um, and the, that, that sort of is the practice of tilting, I guess, is learning to not only give your time and energy to, in this instance, your Mother's Day day, but at the same time learning to let go of the guilt that comes with it. Because, I mean, that's, that's years and years and years of, like, being told that it's a waste of time or that, you know, it's lazy to take time to put your feet up when there's stuff that, can be done um, and that's just like a generation on generation thing that we've been taught so it's not going to change overnight even if you're the way that you're dealing with your time and energy changes um, overnight the the guilt stuff will take a little bit longer to to go but I think the more we practice the more we learn to just be in in those moments and to understand that tilting is tilting away from all of it like the guilt as well um, the, the better we get and like, I just, just to add another comment, like um, I'm loving the tilting um, word this week because like even when I tilt into my exercise, just be focused on, on like doing the exercise and not worrying about work or answering phone calls or anything, just really focused on that one task and doing that task right. Exactly. You know, and I think that that, again, that's a practice that we can get better at over time. You just say, like, I'm all in, I'm all into this thing. And that means I'm all out of all the other things. And if I'm, that, if I'm working right now, that means I'm not actually actively parenting. I'm not actively being, you know, available for other things. And what that tends to mean is that we're more efficient over time. You know, we've kind of been sold on the whole multitasking myth for a long time. Our brains can't actually multitask, not, not truly multitask. They just switch really, really rapidly between the two tasks at hand. And what that does is tire our brains out. It kind of depletes us of, um, I think it's a, a glucose or something. Our brains use glucose every time we're switching between these, these activities. And that leads us to being far more exhausted. Whereas if we just focus in on that one thing and we do it and we're done with it and we move on. 
we can actually be more efficient. And that, um, not that efficiency is the key, but sometimes, you know, in order to tilt, we want to tilt into work, we want to get it done so we can tilt into other stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you. I'm just reading over your, um, your email. I also really like what you said that um, you said that you were struggling a little bit with rhythms um, because you realised you weren't sort of marching to the, own beat, to the beat of your own drum, um, but sort of shifting your, your perspective and realising that doing what works for you is actually ultimately going to serve you far more um, than kind of doing what, what other people think you should be doing is really beneficial. Um, and you said the, the, the rhythm that you've created also fills your value cups of health and adventure and nature, which makes my heart sing like, that's a really nice way to start your day. And I've been um, every day this week, um, I'm an early morning person and I appreciate some people just aren't early morning um, people, but I am a hundred percent through and through. So if I were to sleep in, that just, that just annoys me and I, uh, it doesn't set me up for a great day. But if I see the sunrise every morning and I get exercise in, then it sets me up and I just feel like I've had the best day no matter how bad that day gets. Yeah. And that's it. Like you're meeting yourself where you are. You know, you've, you, know, you know how you best operate. You know what, where your energy is best focused. Um, and I think that that's all we can ask of ourselves. Like whether or not it looks like a traditional morning rhythm or not, that doesn't really matter. It's more about finding um, what works for you and then meeting yourself there. Um, and that, that by by default will feel far more sustainable than trying to shoehorn yourself into someone else's idea of what a morning rhythm should look like. So it's awesome. Thank you for sharing that with us. Also, I love Winmerley. I used to live in Glenbrook. So. <laughs> uh, so Katie, Katie, are you on the call? Yes, you are. Did you want to come on and talk about your questions or? Yeah, awesome. How are you? Oh, can you hear me? There we go. Hey. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. Awesome. Okay, perfect. Um, I had a few things in there. Um, I really have been trying to get around the idea of tilting. Um, I think one way that I've incorporated it is in my work, I have really dry tasks and work has been really days have been going really long mm -hmm. and um so in my dry tasks where i don't really need much brain power i would listen to a podcast or something um to get me through but what i've and then i still i still really value my idle time but then i'll schedule like 20 minutes after work where i'm just go for a walk or like not do anything mm -hmm. but instead I've refrained from listening to a podcast while I'm doing that kind of dry work and letting me idle then and then after work when I go for a walk because I still really like um, having the podcast and having that kind of stimulus. I'll go for a walk and listen to a podcast then. Yeah. Um, and I think letting myself idle during work hours has, has helped with that. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I think there's no like there's no right or wrong there either. Um, because what you're saying to me is you're being really intentional with it. Like you're not just letting it happen. You've made a choice to either like let that idle time almost be when you're working on a mundane task. And and that's actually another way of allowing your brain to access that default mode network um, where you you may not feel like it, but your brain's making all of these really cool new um, connections and creativity often blossoms when we're doing mundane tasks. So you could still be active in terms of doing that work, but your brain is able to slip into a different mode of working, um, which is really good for you and good for your brain. So there's like, and, and then by taking something that you really enjoy, which is maybe listen to a podcast when you go for a walk, that's also fine. You know, there's no, there's definitely no right or wrong. So um, I guess that's the problem with any sort of black or white philosophy or tool. Uh, like tilting could be used in that in that way. You could always use anything to beat yourself up with if you want to try hard enough. Um, yeah. There's nothing wrong with going for that walk and, and using that as time to decompress from work, to move your body, to spark your mind up and to listen to something that really interests you. That's you tilting into a different form of self-care. You know, so not... I, I, I guess it would be an ideal world where we could do everything single-mindedly, but the world that we live in, like that's not particularly realistic um, to do, to get through an entire day while doing only one thing at a time. Um, you know, I'll often be thinking about work while I'm chopping vegetables for dinner. Like I can't really help that. And that's normal. And, you know, um, that's also sort of our brains working in, in different ways, but um, yeah, don't, don't kind of, I think that to, Tilting is another tool. So feel free to pick it up when it makes sense to. Yep. And if you're finding things overwhelming or you feel like you're, you're kind of not doing anything well um, because you're trying to do too many things at once, tilting could be really helpful then. You're like, okay, I'm going to pick this tool up. I'm going to tilt into this thing that requires my attention. And then I'm going to recognize I'm not doing anything else. I'll tilt into the second and then I'll tilt into the third and then put it down, you know. And then if you find joy or... Um, fun or lightness or anything, enjoyment in, uh, in in going for a walk and listening to a podcast, please don't use, you know, tilting to, to beat yourself up. It's not, it, yeah, that's not, that's not, um, it's not going to be helpful in the long run. Um, yeah, and I guess it's a really important point that any of these things, that any of these tools can be used to help, but they can also be used to lock us into like more of a rigid idea of what things should look like and again that's not the that's not the, the point of them it's sort of pick it up use it when it feels right and then put it down if it doesn't um yeah does that does that help yeah i think it feels a lot less intimidating now that i have that freedom <laughs> that's good. to use it when, when i when i when i want to yeah yeah yeah, it's definitely not It's not designed to be intimidating. So if something's feeling heavy or hard, you know, maybe kind of put it down and look at it for a bit and, and then question whether or not it's serving you in that moment. Because um, that's the other thing. I mean, if you feel like you're in a good place, if over the course of a day, a week, a month, you feel pretty balanced, that's awesome. You know, we don't need to keep second-guessing ourselves either on that. If you feel like you're in a pretty good spot balance-wise, then just like, roll with it you know there will be periods in life where we we do and we kind of land in that rhythm that feels good for us and then there's periods of life where things change and that that's not necessarily the case and that's when you can look at this toolkit and pick up what you need yeah okay. yeah 
Um, okay, I'm just looking at your email. So it's like, I guess it was kind of covering over what tilting can be used for and, and how to apply it. And then also, yeah, so you, you spoke about your work, um, the dry tasks of your work. Yeah, I think that's a really, that's a really cool experiment actually, kind of flipping it and, and using that as your idle time. Um, yeah, because I was I was really struggling to get through a day without it feeling structured um, because my my colleagues haven't really put themselves fully into their work, which is completely understandable. They're homeschooling, so I don't expect them to. But it's just really challenging um, to then put myself wholeheartedly and feel feel like I've had a full day of work, um, and I kind of need that structure. Um, so, which is why I turned to podcasts and just filling that time. But in the end, I think that made, made it feel like time went even slower because it wasn't defined. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting actually. Um, cause it's sort of like I'm switching in between these like, um, off time modes and, and working modes and it's, yeah, that perhaps I think at the moment also it would be very easy for work to feel like it could permeate everything, you know, because there may not be like the defined start and finish times or those events that kind of mark the beginning and end of that day. So that's actually really insightful, I think, to realise that perhaps blending those is not working for you at the moment and kind of having that work time and being there and, yeah, it's dry and, yes, it's hard and to show up when when everyone's sort of so preoccupied um, that is probably, it sounds like it's, you know, you've landed on a, on an approach that works for the time being. So, yeah. Yeah. That's a really good question though. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's a pleasure. Um, all right. I'm just looking, I've got a couple more questions that came through via email, but um, I'm just wondering if there's any more questions that anyone on the live call has. Um, so Laura said, you know, the the reminder that we're worthy regardless of our productivity is something we need to hear again and again. Yeah, I uh, I often get really teary when I when I kind of talk about that because so many of us are walking around with this guilt um, and this like kind of low self worth because of of that myth that we've been taught. Um, you know, we're enough. You're enough no matter what no matter what you get done or not done. Uh, you know, I think that so much of the rushing and the, the frantic pace of life is in response to this sense that we're not enough, um, which is, in, again, in response to this myth that we need to do, do in order to be worthy. Um, anyway, I dig into that a lot next week, but I'm glad that that resonated with you, Laura, because I think it's a really important thing to, to remind ourselves of, definitely. Um, so we've got some early morning, um, early morning wake up fans in the house, which is really nice to see. Uh, so uh, who have we got? Brittany Ann and Linda. And uh, we also had, who else was? Yeah, so Laura. Who are, actually, I'm just curious, who, who is an early morning riser? Like happily so. Oh, wow. Awesome. Brilliant. Uh, you know what? I've, I switch. Um, you, I used to be very early morning, um, and at the moment I'm. But at the moment, doesn't it, it's not necessarily a reflection of what would normally be the case. But I'm not getting up to an alarm, um, 
And it's interesting to see the days that I need more sleep. Anyway, um, so Alexis shared, I've done the same thing at work with dry tasks and podcasts and have tried tilting into the tasks without podcasts um, and it actually does help time go by faster. Less like the tasks are intolerable because I've dedicated myself completely to them and get more into the flow. That's a really good point, Alexis, and much like what Katie was talking about, I think it's partly a mindset shift. Um, and also there is the, that, that um, state of flow that we can enter in uh, when we're applying ourselves to a task uh, that really does change our perception of time. And typically you can only slip into that state of flow when you're almost singularly focused on it. So by um, listening to a podcast and working through that mundane or that dry work task, it's not actually possible to access that state of flow. But if you switch the podcast off and give yourself wholeheartedly to the task at hand, um, your brain, you become so engrossed in the task, even if it's not necessarily the most like, enlightening uplifting task you become so engrossed in it that your perception of time changes completely um so that's actually yeah there's a there's a whole sort of wealth of, of research about getting into that state of flow and how it can help us shift our perception of time um which i think it sounds like you guys have kind of discovered on your own with that experiment which is awesome um so from me paul do you have advice for if we're tilting too far into self-care I've been finding I have time to do all the things I've wanted to do for a long time, but some days they aren't fulfilling since they're in abundance. This is a pandemic-specific issue. It's a really good question. Um, did you want to come on and chat about it, Maple? Yeah? Yes, I can. I, I don't have much else to say about it, only that um, like it almost, it almost seems silly to say, like, can you give yourself too much self-care? Because in my regular life or like I, i'm sure in all of our regular lives we don't have time to do all the baths and the meditation and the yoga and it's nice to do it but like some days i do find myself thinking like it's not as special um doing one after the other but there's not really i'm not gonna go make work for myself either that doesn't need to be done um, yeah yeah so that's my that's my issue yeah it's a, I mean, a really good question and i guess like it highlights the, um, the the issue of having an abundance of anything, really. It sort of loses its, um, you lose the definition between things. Sort of, does self-care feel so um, nourishing because we offset it against periods of, like, high stress or work or stimulation? Um, and I, I, I don't know the answer, but maybe it could help to look at it not necessarily in like an abundance or an overabundance of time to experience self-care and rather experiment with it. Like it could be an opportunity to find those things that really, really do feel good um, and kind of keep them in a, in a toolbox or a toolkit of things that you can hold on to or dip back into as you need when life changes again, you know, or if you find yourself in a stressful situation, you go, I remember when I was doing this particular self-care ritual and it felt great. Maybe I could incorporate some of that. You know, you could look at it sort of as a an enforced experiment in like all different kind of self-care rituals and 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 see which ones speak to you, you know. Um, yeah, it's but I don't think there's I don't think 
It's interesting, actually. I mean, do you feel almost guilty for spending so much time in self-care? Sometimes, only because I feel like, um, like I feel guilty for not appreciating it, for how much I would appreciate having this time in busier times. Right. So, it, only in that way. Um, okay. Yeah, I'll spend some time like with myself and with my thoughts, and I'll think, oh, that was nice, but it's not as like fulfilling as it would have been. I, I guess, I guess maybe not guilty, um, maybe disappointed. Right. Okay. That's really interesting. Um, I think that we carry a lot of really um, almost n like negative emotions around with us when we think about self-care as well. Like, I don't know whether it's attached to, for you, whether it's attached to a sense of like worthiness or, you know, I haven't worked hard enough to deserve to do these things um, and whether that's kind of giving you that that sense of like disappointment or guilt or that weird sort of squirmy feeling um, yeah like a, a sense of, of, of worthiness um, and I guess if it helps you could also look at it as like an intensive into self-care you know and using it as like a really radical way of filling up all of those sort of buckets and really figuring out um, what ones feel fulfilling to you, knowing that at some point things are going to shift back to, well, not back, things are going to shift to something different. Um, yeah, but I wonder what would happen if you would sort of just acknowledge that sense of disappointment or guilt or, or whatever, um, but didn't allow it to change the way you felt about about doing these things and kind of viewed them with curiosity instead i don't know it's a really really good question like this abundance of time um that some of us have got so laura said maybe self-care doesn't provide the sense of purpose that we all need that's actually a very important point too you know um there's meaning to it like there's meaning to self-care but i guess is self-care the end goal no not necessarily that's sort of where we're at with the commodification of self-care i guess is like this is a product i can buy um whereas i think that for me self-care is again like a tool it allows us to feel um, supported from within and then that's where we're able to best serve our sense of purpose or meaning or fulfillment or um you know whatever our other values are yeah that's a really good point, actually. Like, I think sometimes I do think about, like, self-care is the goal um, of life, is just to be able to, like, provide nice moments for yourself and, like, relaxing moments. But it's a, it's a really good point from both of you that um, there's a different goal for all of our lives, and self-care is, is a tool to get there. Yeah. And I, I was also thinking while you were speaking that I should probably – like if I'm feeling this way, I should probably also widen my scope of like self-care routines because I really only, I just have a few things that I like to do and I just kept repeating them. So it could just be, I'm disappointed that the, that the same results not happening. But I think that's like the definition of someone who's going psycho. So I'll, I'll try to change it up. Um, and that would probably help a lot. So. Yeah, I think that they're both actually really important things to explore a little bit. Um, Kind of, yeah, I'll be curious to see if like shifting the idea of self-care to a tool rather than the end goal. And it, like, it's hard at the moment. Things are, are kind of strange. And if you've got a lot of time, 
then it like that could be the way that you're filling your day and that's also completely fine but yeah what does that sense of being cared for and nourished from within then give you the ability to do you know does it spark your creativity and allow you to work on a new project does it um you know give you a an idea of, of who you might be able to help in your community does it um make you realize that you want to reach out and connect with someone like would you know it'd be really interesting to see what what comes from asking that question of like what can i then do with this this care that i've given myself um yeah thank you laura for bringing that up i think that's really important um okay so laura said i've had such joy um out of helping a neighbor and i think that particularly for those of us who maybe aren't working um, at the moment or are working in like a different kind of capacity, rethinking purpose and meaning as well is probably a really important um, thing to spend some time doing. Um, maybe like digging into the, the why of it. Uh, because I mean, I'm really spending a lot of time starting to think about what the other side of lockdown is going to look like. Uh, I spoke about in the podcast that came out yesterday uh, and I think that that question of purpose and um, meaning is really important uh, in, in this period as well to, to kind of look at how that might shift or, or how our energies might shift towards, um, towards those things and what that looks like in the sort of bigger scheme of, um, you know, the new normal. Yeah, very thought-provoking. Um, Okay, so I've got a couple more questions that came via email. So this is from Stephanie, um, who I don't think is on the call. Uh, no. um, so Stephanie has just basically said she's, she's found it challenging to do the morning rhythm experiment during lockdown because her mornings are very different to what they normally would be um, when she leaves at seven for an hour commute but she's hoping to be able to use this time to look at what she likes about her mornings um, and to take some of those elements into normal working days when they resume. Uh, and then she kind of shared what some of that might look like, but she said, the more achievable I make it, the more likely it will become habit, which is something I think that we've kind of covered off a lot today. And I think it can't be repeated enough. You know, we need to be fair and generous to ourselves and realistic um, to ourselves and um you know not cr create this wonderfully impressive habit uh this wonderfully impressive rhythm for our mornings that will only actually really look good on social media you know <laughs> it's not really about impressing other people um so this is a really good question for anyone who struggles with the mornings because i know we're kind of at 50 50 with our early morning peeps and our um not so much so how do you create positive morning rhythms when you really don't like getting out of bed early? So Stephanie came up with a solution to, to at least part of this herself. She's going to experiment with taking a flask of hot water. She likes having a hot drink in the morning. That's one of the things she really does love about a morning rhythm. Um, but she doesn't want to get up to prepare it. So she's taking a flask of hot water, sitting it next to her bed, um, and she'll pour herself a lemon and hot water in the morning and sit in bed and wake up drinking that. And I think that is genius. I really do. I think that's meeting yourself where you are. That's figuring out what is going to work for you, what's going to make you feel like a little bit spoiled almost. 
um, and she's doing that. So I think that that's brilliant. And I, I really wanted to share it with you, particularly for anyone who's, um, you know, who's, who's struggling to find something that fits in their, their morning preferences. Um, I think that, as we've said a number of times today, just work with your energy, you know, don't resist it, don't kind of try and push back against where you actually are at. Um, and instead, do something like set yourself the flask of hot water and lemon and like love yourself in the morning. I think that's really nice. I think that would be a very, very lovely way of, um, of, of meeting the day. Uh, there's, I mean, there's other things that you can do in bed, um, you know, to start your morning. And <laughs> there's plenty of things you can do in bed to start your morning. Um, and some of them are even things I'm going to talk about. Uh, so you can, um, you can journal in bed. You can, you know, have your little station of care set up next to your bed. And you can, um, so you have your, your hot water flask, your lemon, your journal, your pen, uh, and you can sit up and, and you know, have 10 minutes of, of that. Um, you can meditate in bed, same thing, you know, have your, your headphones ready or, or a timer or, you know, your little bell um, or chimes ready and, and sit up in bed and meditate. You could do some breathing exercises. Um, I've been experimenting a lot over the last few months with diaph diaphragmatic breathing, I guess. So learning how to breathe really deeply into the belly and um, using the side muscles um, to, to breathe. And that's been really um, quite amazing, actually, at how well I feel um, when I do that. So you can do all of those things. I mean, you can kind of explore and, and find um, some exercises online that will teach you how to do that. Um, I mean, you can stretch in bed. You can have 10 minutes of intentional idleness. I mean, yes, you can have sex if, that, if that's what you want in your morning rhythm. Like, go for it. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that there's, there's a lot that you can do in bed, um, again, uh, in the morning. So don't let that be your obstacle, I guess. Um, to, to starting out well, like staying in bed doesn't mean laziness. It means that you have a preference for beginning your day um, in like coziness or in that kind of that comfort and that feels nourishing and supportive. Do that. You know, I don't think you should feel bad about it. Um, so hopefully that helps. Is there anyone actually out of curiosity who is a not a morning person who found any of that helpful like is there any anyone on the call who's like i could potentially see myself doing that maple awesome no okay um all right so jana or yana i'm sorry if i got that hi how are you so um there we go hi book how are you Good, thank you. Is it Yana or Jana? Sorry. Yana. Yana, okay. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Now, um, that's, you make a really good point because if you're co-sleeping with your kids, um, like, I, kids have this amazing ability to sense any movement out yeah. of bed. Um, like my son doesn't sleep with us and he still knows when I'm out of bed. It's like they've got this, like, this capability to... to feel the tiniest shifts in their parents' bodies. Um, so is that something that you've ex explored yourself in having like a bit of a morning ritual 
in bed or? Well, I've been just thinking about it and how to incorporate self-care into my day and into my routines with the kids, especially at the moment, always being there. (laughs) And, um, and also when I go back, when school starts again, um, at the moment they have really light sleepers. Maybe it's something to do with that situation at the moment that, um, the moment somebody moves or somebody wakes up, they, they go, where are you going? They're really kind of bit on edge. Um, but there, yeah, I was thinking, so to tilt fully into it because I used to just uh, multitask a lot and to fully tilt into the self care was usually not really possible because of the kids being there all the time and wanting my attention. So, um, I think it might be a good way to just have, like you say, like a station next to the bed or like um, I can listen to the meditation and do the meditation while I'm still lying in bed. And that gives me a more purposeful kind of start to the day. And I feel like I've already had some self-care to start the day with, which would be really nice. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But it brings up a lot of uh, thought in me, like, um, the mundane tasks of just cleaning. And I used to just listen to to podcasts as well while I'm doing that. And I think then it just kind of became um, my self-care, but it's not, it's, it's, it's cleaning. So I think yeah. it's actually really good to just separate that and just say, okay, I'll do what I need to do, but then I will focus on on myself and do something for myself. So it's a lot of thoughts that go through my mind at the moment, yeah. Yeah, you, you raise a really good point, though, that we can often um, convince ourselves that, like, cleaning the house and listening to a podcast is self-care, you mm-hmm. know, and that, like, we make that feel like that's enough for us, you know, that's good enough, that's, like, tick that box. And it's not really fulfilling in that way. It's not unpleasant necessarily, but it's not something that you can then take through the rest of the day and feel like, cared for you know and feel supported and loved and nourished um so i think that that's a really important kind of thing to remind ourselves like you know to remind ourselves of that um we don't need to squeeze our self-care in around the requirements of everything and everyone else you know it is a, a requirement in and of itself and actually if we don't if we if we continue to ignore it completely or try and squeeze it into some other multitasking time we're really robbing ourselves but we're robbing the people that we spend time with we're robbing our you know our families our friends our loved ones um from the best of us as well because over time that gets really heavy you know and that's for me that's where resentment builds up that's where like anger builds up it's sort of that complete removal of 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 care for yourself um because you're too busy trying to squeeze it in around everyone else's needs. So, um, yeah, I'll be really curious to see how you go with um, incorporating some of those those sort of rhythm ideas for you, particularly if you're doing them in bed um, yeah. and, and how that feels, because I think that's a lovely way to start the day, such a beautiful way to start the day. Yeah, I'll keep you posted. I, I'm going to experiment a little bit with what's going to work and maybe also do a little bit of what would work at the moment and what could work when we go back to school. Cause I'm in Melbourne. So going okay. back to school soon as well. Yeah. Um, and we used to have pretty hectic mornings with two kids getting ready 
So I, I actually wanted to get my daughter's input as well, what she would like in her mornings yeah. and see um, where we meet and what each of us wants and then create it together a little bit. That's really nice. That's a lovely thing to do because I think then what you're doing is teaching your daughter that self-care is important mm. as well. You know, that, that needing to take that time um, is, is key, I think. Mm. Um, I know there's a lot of meditations. How old's your daughter? Seven. Okay. Oh, that's beautiful. That's a really, really lovely, lovely thing to do with her, to, um, to show her what it looks like to mm. show up for yourself in that way. Um, there's a lot of really lovely meditations that are only sort of five to ten minutes on the Insight Timer app that my daughter listens to, that we'll often do together. She listens to the sleep ones as well. Um, that could potentially also offer you something really nice to, to do together. Yeah, I was thinking that as well. So, but there's like this kind of sharing, but also time to myself. Yes. So I don't want to share all that time. Yeah. I need some time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, come in and be part of some of it, but yeah. mum needs some more. <laughs> <Exactly. time>. <laughs> That, and you're allowed to do that. That is perfectly okay. But I guess, you know, giving her language to understand it from her own perspective, perhaps over time will teach her that that's what you're doing for yourself as well, you know, and that it's important and it's valid. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really nice. I like that a lot. Um, let me know how you go and, and what you land on with sort of the current, current rhythms and then also things that might work when the kids go back to school. Thank you. I'll try. I'll try to, yeah. Keep us updated. Awesome. Right. Thank you. Um, Katie, I love this, that you keep a big jumper and long socks next to your bed for the cold mornings. That's just like waking up to a hug. It's really nice. <laughs> I like that a lot. Um, yeah, and Susan, I agree with you. So having like having this time at the moment to, to think about creating intentional rhythms, um, particularly moving forward is really um, it's a, like a genuine benefit if we um, if we're able to give ourselves that time is there anything um, in particular that you wanted to incorporate more into your mornings kind of moving forward is there anything that you've found through the process me yeah okay there I am. hey hey um I have really enjoyed having a cup of coffee in the morning. Um, my, my husband is quite a coffee connoisseur. I mean, he heats the water to the right temperature and we've got the right kind of grinder and the right kind of coffee. And, you know, he's, he, it's really important to him to have that consistency in the coffee. And it's just when I'm running out the door, um, I often don't get that cup of coffee and I've just, really realized how important it is to to sit um, and with the kids not having to go off to school my son will often come up and have a cup of coffee or tea with me he's 10 years old and he loves to sit and we'll chat and we'll connect um, and and I'm as I'm kind of hearing the different states I'm in the United States I'm in Denver Colorado but in in hearing that you know we're starting to open up I'm almost a little anxious about wait a minute I'm not ready to open up I'm not ready to go back to my yeah. crazy you know driving the kids everywhere and and feeling like I had a successful day if I got those 100 things done off my list and I made it everywhere on time 
you know, it was such a crazy life. And what I put in the chat was, I just, I really want to be intentional. Um, I feel like I've just cleaned out my entire closet metaphorically. And now I want to, you know, think about what I want to put back in my closet. Like, what are my favorite things? What am I going to put back in my life? And, and take the time to really design it rather than just immediately go back to that whole routine. That just seems exhausting to me. Yeah. And, and I'm not willing to do that at this point. I think so much time has passed now with what, eight weeks or so, nine weeks of this that I think we've all gotten back, you know, we've all gotten into different routines and, and I think we need to kind of honor that and, and find what works and now what we need, you know, we've developed a new set of needs. So I need my time in the morning. I need to connect with my kids. We need to play more board games. You know, we need to have dinner together every night. Like now I have a whole new set of needs. Yeah, and I, I, it's really interesting to see as time goes on how um, people's conversations around like going back uh, is changing because I think initially there's discomfort, obviously, as we shift into a new kind of mode for a while. But so many people have found themselves realizing the same thing that you've realized is all of these needs that we weren't having fulfilled in the old way of doing things and we're not really prepared to go back to that. It's really hard to unsee that you know it's really hard to unknow that about ourselves like to know that i feel so much more connected to my kids with this slower time where we're not constantly going out for activities after or where our weekends aren't crammed full of sport and catching up with family and friends and you know just time to just stop and to watch a movie together or to sit and have a coffee together in the morning and chat and connect like it's it's going to be really tough for us to to forget that and i don't think anyone wants to forget it so it's mm-hmm. sort of now is the opportunity to think about how we can begin to shift the way we do things and the way we're going to do things to create and hold space for those things that are important and like there's no easy answer to that because obviously the world that used to be was not set up for that and that's why so many of us were living such frantic excuse me hectic lives mm-hmm. um but what can we do? Like what conversations can we start to have? What, what things can we opt out of? What, um, yes. what reprioritization can we bring to our decisions on what we do and don't do with our time and energy in order to create space and hold it and maintain it and protect it for those things that, that we've discovered really are needs. Yes, completely. I completely agree. And I'm wondering if anyone else is is almost feeling a, just a little bit of anxiety of maybe going back to that. Yeah. Big time. <laughs> like, I, I kind of hope this doesn't end soon. Um, it's just a, it's a selfish, you know, kind of way to look at it. I mean, obviously, I would love for the pandemic to be over. But, but just in, you know, where can we find some some areas of light within this and and certainly how can we grow from this let's not waste the opportunity that this has given us when else are we going to be really homebound for what going on three months you know we're just not going to have that opportunity perhaps yeah no i i agree and i think i guess um we can make all the changes that we want in our homes, but when the system as such is not set up necessarily for us to take this new kind of spaciousness forward, like what can we do in the positions that we're in and with the conversations that we're able to have to begin to 
shift the way things are done. So whether or not that is having a conversation with your employer about potentially remote working, you know, I know a number of organizations are now saying to their staff, Hey, it's worked. You can work from home permanently if you want. Um, Mm -hmm. I'd like that's one potential conversation that we can begin to have, or even look at um, what it is to remote work part-time, you know, and, and whether or not that would allow a completely different sort of rhythm at home. Um, mm-hmm. And talking to your family and friends about, uh, particularly if you've got kids, the activities that they will and won't go back to and um, the way that we will and won't schedule our weekends full and, you know, really begin to have that conversation. Because I think what you'll find if you, if you have it with a broader circle of friends and family, you'll probably discover that a lot of people are feeling much the same. And it's when we're able to agree on things even if we don't necessarily agree on all of them, but we can agree that, yes, having this space with our family has been a positive. Yes, um, the slowness that it's brought, even if it was enforced, was actually a positive. Uh, when you have that, um, that, that, that agreement, you can move forward, you know, and say, okay, so we agree on all of these things. What are we, what's that going to look like? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think... It's going to be fascinating. Um, And I think the idealist in me can see how this experience will potentially change the way everything happens. You know, it's changing. It's already changing how cities are are, are operating. A lot of cities around the world are putting in more bike paths and widening footpaths and kind of encouraging people to walk places and, um, you know, to, to not drive and to not necessarily get on crammed public transport for the next little while. And like the flow on effect of that for me is, is enormous in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's really interesting, really interesting time to, to kind of be asking these questions. And I guess, um, I don't know if, if you listen to the podcast, but the episode that came out yesterday, um, we talk about, Ben and I talk about this sort of what the new normal um, could potentially look like. And there's about, over on the website, um, the Slow Your Home website, there is a list of journaling or conversation prompts that I included as part of that conversation, a uh, part of the episode, which might prove to be a good point to start having some of these conversations or at least thinking about them for what, what you want it to look like. That's great. I will check that out for sure. Yeah, yeah it's... um. But you're definitely not alone. I think a lot of people are experiencing some sense of anxiety or grief or loss at potentially saying goodbye to, you know, this more spacious time. And, like, it's fraught. I feel horrible talking about it in a positive way because no one wants it to, like, no no one would ever wish this on anybody. And I know it's just awful. Um, right. But as you say, it, it is an opportunity it, the crisis has afforded us, some of us at least, an opportunity to to be asking these questions. Um, yes. And I, I don't think that I could ever imagine another opportunity for us to. So, you know, let's use it. Yeah. Well, and this retreat could not have been more well-timed. So well done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I am glad. Um, yeah, I, did, I didn't know whether or not it'd be, people would be like, oh, I don't, I don't want to think about anything else. Um, but I feel like it's arrived at a good time for, for a lot. I do. Um, so Laura said she's going to ask, um, uh, where did that go? Oh, I'll ask to work from home for a day a week. Uh, it's an opportunity to push back on some of the many shoulds in our life. Absolutely. Like, I think that that's brilliant, Laura. Um, and a really good, op- a, a really good example of what that might look like to just start having those, those conversations. Um, 
and using the power that we do have, you know, whether or not that is just to have a conversation with a coworker or a friend um, and sort of use it as a starting point because those ripples will go much further than, than you kind of expect. Um, <laughs> just said I've told several people that if I was told I had to socially distance for a year, I'd be happy. Me too. <laughs> I feel kind of bad saying that to people. I'm like, I'm, yeah, I guess we'll catch up now that we can, I suppose. <laughs> I guess I can come and see you. <laughs> um, and Jean says she's feeling really um, apprehensive as well when those, those restrictions do lift, whenever that may be. Um, yeah, does anyone else, I guess I'm curious, does anyone else have any plans um, or thoughts to what things are going to look like um, on the other side and then perhaps what you can do, like what's a step that you can take over the next few weeks to, to slowly get there? Linda? Yeah, just it's interesting because um, in my work, we've got about 1,400 employees. Some are operational, but there's probably about uh, 600 that are in a building. And so we're working hard to say that life is different and we're saying that you can have the best of both worlds. So if you want to be in at work because that's best for you, then that's great. But if you want to still work remotely because, wow, all of a sudden, that's worked, then that's okay as well. Yeah. And so it's been fascinating to watch the shift because I would say that my organisation or the culture was that if you're sitting at your desk for long periods of time, you're somehow productive as opposed to moving to the remote workplace where it's completely different. And so I've been loving just watching that from a cultural perspective and we're going to be working hard to... Um, take the benefits of COVID-19 and making sure that we harness those in terms of culture and the way that people get their work done. That brings, that gives me so much hope. I've got to tell you, like, that's really wonderful to hear that you work in quite a large organization and that that's the conversation that you're happening with your employees. Like, I think that's amazing. Um, and I, like, I can only hope and I can only assume that you're not the only organisation having that conversation. So it's going to be really interesting. I think that the research that's coming out is saying that um, the way that employers have tra treated their employees through this process um, is dictating where talent will go to, as, as well as saying that um, people are demanding to work remotely because that's how they feel safe. So if employers don't jump on board with that, they're going to fall behind in terms of um, attracting the best the best talent to their organisations. Interesting. So like almost a people first approach is being forced on employers, which is brilliant uh, and really great for, for people like everyone on this call who is looking for ways to do things um, that are far more like holistically beneficial, you know. And that, the thing is, that doesn't just... As we all know, that doesn't just affect how we show up in our work either. It affects everything. It affects the way that we're able to be in our community and with our family and with our friends. And, um, you know, those ripples are um, very far-reaching, you know, and I think that if we can use this as an opportunity to springboard into, into that, I think it's 
yeah, it's exciting. Can I just make one more point? Like, um, just for my personal life, actually, it's been interesting because I've somewhat, I somewhat am isolated anyway on weekends due to the nature of where my where the farm is and so COVID-19 actually I've probably been more social because uh, because um, everything's closed so friends have gone to having like zoom meetings and so I've been able to participate in that which yeah. has been quite strange <laughs> it is strange I know well I've like I've been much the same I'm super introverted so we'll often just like revert to time spent um, alone or like at home and this has, it has highlighted for me that as much as I enjoy my own company and would happily alongside Jess socially distance for at least a year, um, like it has also highlighted to me how important connection is though. Uh, so we've been doing things like Zooming with, um, Zooming? I don't know, did we Zoom? Did we Zooming? Um, having a Zoom call with friends who live in Canada and like they, they've lived in Canada forever and we've lived in Australia so it's not like the, the pandemic required us to only connect that way but it has given us a good opportunity I think to um, I guess rethink the relationships and the connections in our lives and, and how much they matter and choosing those ones that leave you feeling loved and you know um, seen and supported is is really important as well. So it's kind of, I guess, to bring that back to what things are going to look like on the other side, rethinking the relationships that we make space and time for as well and kind of getting intentional with the connections that we do make. Um, I think that that's possibly another another benefit that is outside of work because as um, Jean and, and Jana have both made a point, not all work can necessarily be, be done well remotely so if you're in a situation like that, that's not necessarily something that you can change or would necessarily even want to change going forward. Um, but what are some other things that we can do? What are some other shifts that we can make um, in the way that we, we do life? Because work is obviously only one part of life. So, you know, I guess, yeah, thinking and, and starting to get really curious about what that ideal vision of, of of what comes next would look like for you and then starting to, to ask how do I how do I start to act to put that in place yeah I'm, I'm much the same Katie I'm definitely a lot more connected to my mates overseas um, but see and then Yana said Yana shared that she has kind of shifted in the work that she offers as well and, and how tech which I know often gets kind of maligned as like the anti-slow thing but it is certainly allowing a lot of um, a lot of these changes to happen as well, which which could ultimately bring more slow. So um, I like that there's like a, a Denver, Colorado collective here too. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I love I loved Denver when we were over there. Very, very cool. Um, when we saw the baseball at like the mile high, whatever it's called, the stadium. Yeah, that was fun. The Rockies. Uh, so I'm thinking that I might have answered everyone's question. Oh, I have one more, one more from Rosie. And then unless people have got some more questions, I might call it a, a wonderful day. Um, so Rosie has said that um, I have a question about the daily observation and tilting from this week's session in that when I go to do the daily observation, I don't see how I can tilt in any one day. I understand tilting as a concept, but more perhaps over a period of a few days, weeks, months, as opposed to a day by day 
uh, a day-by-day basis. Uh, perhaps because my life right now already feels fairly slow by virtue of it just being my husband and I at home and lockdown going on. And so a lot of the usual things that might clutter my life and mind aren't happening. I feel like I have the time for most of the things that I want to do and I suppose it does feel fairly balanced right now outside of work, even if I'm not enjoying my job at the moment. Um, I guess in short, it sounds like, Rosie, you're in a really good place. And much like um, you know, I said to Katie earlier, it could be that tilting is not a tool that you need right now. You know, if you're if you feel like you've got that comfortable kind of rhythm in place, um, given the circumstances at the moment, then like enjoy it. <laughs> don't you don't need to wait for the other shoe to drop. It's okay. Like you're allowed to enjoy it just as it is, um, and not feel guilty about it either. You know, I think that um, if the the slowness of this period in life has afforded you that then we can see it as a, you know, as a silver lining for yourself and your husband. Uh, If when things shift and change, you feel like perhaps you're being spread too thin or or once again, you're doing more things at once and and they're all kind of suffering for it. That's when you can pick tilting back up and and see if you may be able to to use it in your day. Um, But honestly, I feel like you're just in a really great place and I just encourage you to enjoy it. There's, you don't need to necessarily overthink it or over-engineer it. If it feels good, like let it. That's that's great. Um, yeah. So that was a snappy end. Um, ah, Tedeschi Trucks concert. That would have been cool. That would have been really cool. Um, so Susan said, just going back, I guess. Um, to what we want things to look like in the, in the new form of life. Um, I want to invest in those great connections. And I realized since social distancing, I haven't missed those people who are more superficial connections. Totally. You know, I think that um, it's funny, actually. I think that having to get on Zoom or having to pick up a phone and make phone call, at least for me, who, those things don't necessarily feel super natural. Um, you really need to want to connect with them. And you know, like, that's a great way for me to have thinned out that that group of people who I would otherwise kind of call connections or friends or loose acquaintances or whatever. There's a lot of people on that list who I just wouldn't get on a Zoom call with, and that's totally fine. So, you know, I guess the question is why why do we allow so much of our time and energy to go towards those relationships when there are others that we've maybe highlighted and discovered during this period that are much more important to us. Um, yeah, I think that, that that's going to be a really interesting kind of flow on over the next few months for people as they realize that as well. And you see red rocks out of your backyard? That's cool. That is really cool. Wow. Anyway, this is not doing anything for my wanderlust. Oh, okay. Um, well, I think unless there's any more questions or, you know, anything people want to dig into, um, I might call it a day, but uh, let me see. Can I unmute everybody? Nope. Anyway, if you want to say goodbye, feel free to unmute yourself because I can't unmute you all. <laughs> I hope you all have a really Goodbye, lovely... everybody. Thank Bye. you so much. Work for a good session. It's given me lots to think about. Oh, that's awesome. I'm glad. Thank you, as always, for showing up, everyone. Like, you all show up with so much heart and so many insights. I'm learning a lot. So that 
I'm very grateful to you guys. Thank you. Yeah, great challenges. Awesome. I'm glad. I, know, I would be really curious not to get ideas, but I would be curious to see people's routines because I'm still kind of working on mine. So if anyone feels inclined to share, <laughs> I think there could be good ideas that come out of it. That's a really good idea. I wonder um, if anyone wants to do that. Um, I mean, we can talk it out now, or if you want to write it out, um, I can put together like a document, I guess, on at the end of this week's um, retreat page, like under the recording. Mm -hmm. uh, that might be helpful for people too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, it, what about, I know that some people are trying to get off social media, but what about a private Facebook group that people can just share um, information? Yeah, I've thought, I've thought a lot about that. Um, and I did make like an intentional choice to not because particularly with the last round of the retreat that most people were like getting off social media was there, <laughs> um, was there like a big experiment. Um, but this group seems to be different in that way, like looking for more interaction. So I don't know. I mean, I don't use Facebook, um, but that's not to say I can't get on and, um, and set something up. But what, like, what's the consensus? Does anyone, is there a, a mode of doing that? A group email? Um, Teams? Google? I don't know. Is Google still a thing that people use? Um, yeah, I didn't really I definitely prefer it, to stay away from Facebook. <laughs> Um, okay, so let me have a think about it um, and see if I can kind of even bring in some kind of uh, forum functionality to to the, yeah, let me have a think. Um, but is that, so that I feel like there's maybe, there's definitely some people who are keen on either a Facebook group or something like that or a group email. Mm -hmm. um, I'll see what's, what's going to work. Like that flask idea, I forget who that was, but I'm I'm gonna go buy myself a little flask. <laughs> See, there's genius to be to be had in this group, undoubtedly. <laughs> yeah, Linda, leave it with me. I'll have a think, um, and I'll see what I can do. I guess the other thing would be, I don't know if I could commit to like running a group in addition to the other stuff that I've got going on at the moment. So, if there was someone who'd be interested in in kind of even just keeping an eye on it, that might help. But yeah, let if me have a think. Yeah, you wouldn't have to run it. You wouldn't even have to set it up if we just had everyone's names and then started joining people to the group. So yeah. those that wanted to put ideas in, they could. And so we could just do that kind of independent of, of you, Brooke, so you don't have the extra workload. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Let me have a think. And I'll... Yeah. I'm sure you'd be invited and you could drop in occasionally if you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, if that works for people, um, yeah. yeah, so Jess was like, I'm, I was thinking more super informal, um, if anyone wants to share their, their uh, rhythms now or in the chat. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it can be a group thing. I just, I think I'm with you, Brooke, where I like, one time I'm like, oh, let's all get a farm box from this farm that's an hour away, but I'm not organizing the delivery site, right? Like, <laughs> it, it's like that type of thing where it's like a good idea until you think of being in charge and then it's a bad idea. So yeah. the, the point would not be to create work for anyone. <laughs> no, but right, I, think actually, so. I, I think uh, uh, a group Zoom every couple of weeks if people are interested. Um, just because you you tend not to meet like I've I've got a good core group of people who um, um, I guess I consider my tribe, but 
you know, you guys actually um, think and and act a lot more like me than most people I would come across in a day, you know, a regular day. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. It is nice to have like a group of like-minded people to run things by and to, you know, people who maybe are picking up the similar information that you are and kind of processing it in a similar way. I think that is very valuable. Um, So I'm going to have a think and I will include something maybe in like this week's email about it, whether or not it's an invitation for people to, and maybe people could just opt in on sharing their their email address or something yep yep that sounds that sounds great um but also if you do want to share your your um your current rhythm pop it in an email send it to me at at hello at slowyourhome.com and i will um put that in like a document kind of as a a group of examples i guess and i think that could really help for, for people um yeah i'll do that and um leave it with me but i hope you guys all have a really great thursday night or friday (laughs) um take care of yourselves over the weekend thank you as always for this it's been wonderful thanks brooke thanks guys i'll see you soon Bye. bye bye